Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in your New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, a few months ago, it's very difficult probably for us to try to think back this long ago, but as we entered into the year, now that's hard to imagine, right? It was just, it just seems like yesterday probably for most of us, that we entered into 2018. I began a sermon series or a series of sermon series on these specific lives of the Scripture. We talked about making it count all year long. I gave you a message on David. You remember. I'll start over in January. <laughs> I did a sermon series on Esther. We talked about Joseph. And then somewhere toward the September or so, we began looking at the life of Jesus. And we worked through the life of Jesus, some different aspects of the life. And as I said then, I say again now to you, there is no other life like the life of Jesus. There is no other person like the person of Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to look at all the scripture and to see all the different characters that we have in the Old and New Testaments. But there is no other character like Jesus because he not only marked the calendar, he marked our lives. And he continues to do that even this day. So when we come today, as we have worked through his life, it's almost like now we have backed up. It's like we should have started here with the idea of the infancy narratives, the birth of Jesus. It's like now we've backed up after we've seen his life, we come back now and hopefully we can understand his mission even better. As we look at Matthew chapter 2, we begin to focus and see how that the life of this Jesus was the life of the true king and how the king still makes a difference in who we are today. I invite you to read along with me as we look at Matthew chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, 
they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Matthew is all about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, if you look at the gospel of Matthew, you will find the word kingdom used some 53 times. Most all of those, 51 of those 53 times, it is used to speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It is to speak about God's rule and God's reign. And if there's a kingdom, that means there is a king. And Matthew presents to us very clearly that Jesus is the king. That is his message. I would say to you it is the theme of the gospel of Matthew. And we have stuck with Matthew. If you've noticed that over the last few weeks or months, we have stuck in this gospel because there is this theme that Jesus is the king and he has a kingdom. And here in chapter 2, as we have the coming of these magi, we are reminded that even in the beginning, Jesus was identified as the king. These magi, these astrologers, most would say that they were like pagans, and yet they had been summoned by the king of the universe to come and to recognize the birth of his son. These magi, they came from Babylonia or perhaps Persia, and they came for some time. Obviously, their journey took them several months to get to Jerusalem and then ultimately to Bethlehem. They come seeking to see what God and what his message was. They had followed that star. Can you imagine the star of announcement, the star that proclaimed that the king, the Messiah, the Christ had been born? And they come over all those months. I believe Jesus was uh, somewhat maybe of a toddler. By the time that they get to Bethlehem, we know that he is, well, he is under the age of two. But he, is, he has been born for quite a while. They're in a house. He is a young child, according to the scripture. And they come to see the king. Now, where do they begin? They begin in Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem, and they go to King Herod. And they ask a question. Now, listen to this. They ask a question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They look at King Herod, and they say, hey, where is the real king? Well, I, God had given them wisdom for the stars, but I'm not sure that he had given them wisdom for the king. He says, where is the real king born? I want you to see that even in that question, there is the idea, there is the concept that there is a rightful king. That there's a rightful king somewhere. Herod, you are not the rightful king. But there is a rightful king who has been born. Now, I've got, to, I've got to kind of work down a little bit of history lane just for a moment, okay? So tr try to hang with me. We'll get more exciting in a moment. But try to stay with me as we walk down history lane and think about King Herod and how he had become to this position that he was in. First of all, when you think about this idea of the rightful king... You would think that the king of the Jews would be 
from the Jewish lineage. Make sense? Makes sense to me. And yet when you look at the lineage of Herod the Great, you will not find the Jewish ethnicity. You will actually find a man who traces his ancestry to Esau. Oh, yeah. Old Testament. Remember him? Jacob and Esau. And how Jacob became the line of promise. And through Jacob's line was to come the Messiah, the Christ, the King. But yet, this was Esau. As a matter of fact, Herod the Great was from Edom, which is the area in which Esau's family had settled eventually and now lived. They had been forced into Judaism during a time of Jewish independence between the Old and New Testament. They had been forced into Judaism, but they were not necessarily ethnically identifying as Jews. So again, here the Magi. They look at Herod and they say, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? You could almost feel the sting to King Herod's heart, can't you? Because he knew he was not the legitimate ruler. He knew he was not born to be the king. He knew that he had come from Edom. And how had he come to this position again? He had come to this position because of his father. You ought to go back and really read through the history of these Herod rulers. Because how did they come into their position of power? It is because of the schemes. It is because of the plans of Herod's dad, a guy named Antipater. Antipater began to kind of meddle in the politics of Israel. He began to support one over the other, and eventually he lent his support to the winning side, and thus he deserved some credit and some power. But not only that, Antipater was a politician above politicians, and somehow he gained the Roman favor. He was able to, should I say the word weasel? <laughs> weasel his way in to the politics of Rome he became good friends with a general named Pompey and then eventually took alliance with a guy that you've probably heard about in history, a guy named Julius Caesar. As a matter of fact, Julius Caesar was just about to be defeated in Egypt and guess who showed up to save him? Antipater, Herod's dad. And all of this scheming and all of this had set him in relationship with the Romans till finally... He was able to put his two boys, in particular Herod, who would become the great, into a role of authority. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to look at history and to see how this king had come to power. It, it's a fascinating to see how he held power because of his cruelty, because of his death, and because of his own scheming. At one point, he chose the wrong guy. He chose Mark Antony to support and not Octavian who becomes Caesar Augustus. He, he chooses the wrong side. And what does Herod do? Well, what you do when you get in a situation like that, you just go to the person and say, I am sorry and I beg for my life, right? And he begs for his life and Octavian gives it to him and says, you can continue to rule. The Roman Senate had made him the king of the Jews. 
I give you all that for you to understand this text. Because when the Magi come and they say, where is he that's born? The king of the Jews. Where is the rightful king? Where is the one that comes from the right lineage, as God said, but also where is the one that didn't have to scheme or plot or kill or do all these things to become king? Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Where is the rightful king? When I read through this passage, I am reminded that Jesus is the rightful king. There are a lot of pretenders to the throne. Herod the Great, and there have been a whole line of them since. They have claimed to be the rightful king in some way. But I want you to hear today as we have come before this Christmas day, I want you to hear that Jesus is the rightful king. He is the only right to our lives because he has fulfilled the very scripture itself. It's amazing Herod calls all these experts in the scripture and the law together. And he says, tell me, where will this king be born? And they remember Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, for thus it is written in the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Bethlehem. That's going to be where this king will be born. Bethlehem. You, you remember that place? There, there was another guy that was born there, that lived there. His name was? David. So, Lewis gets a pass when I start this over in January, but the rest of you got to hear the life of David again. I see that now. David. You remember David? I mean, he was born in Bethlehem. He was, he was, he was Mr. BHS, Bethlehem High School, huh? <laughs> it was in Bethlehem that the Davidic king would be born. The one that would have the claim. Jesus. They knew this. And here Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and he would fulfill the scripture of Micah chapter 5. You know, there's probably, there actually is a sermon one of these days about all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Of just working through some of them. I mean, just to take a very small amount of them and realize how it could have only been Jesus that had fulfilled this messianic prophecy so completely, so fully. It's, it's only Jesus that could have done it. For example, like being where you're born. How many of you chose where you were born? How many of you just said, hey, uh, could, we just, could we just like go to another hospital in a different location so I don't have to be born in this area? I was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. All my life, I've told people that and they'd say, ah, same place as Elvis. We don't choose where we are to be born. But Jesus, because of God's sovereignty and God's work and God's issuing forth 
a census through a, well, through a man who thought he ruled the world, Caesar Augustus, through God's work in him and this census, God provided his child, his son, a birthplace in Bethlehem so that it would fulfill the scripture that he would be the king just as he already was, that he was the Messiah and he would be recognized as such. He fulfilled the scripture. He legitimately fulfilled the prophecies. And I say to you that when I look at this passage, Herod the Great is a pretender. Jesus is the rightful king. He fulfilled all of the Messianic scriptures as it was given concerning his birth and his earthly life. Jesus is the rightful king. But I want you to hear also that Jesus is the righteous king. When you look through Herod the Great, his life, his conduct, you will find a cesspool of immorality. You will find a man who is bent on maintaining his power and he will do anything it takes to keep that power. Yes, they call him the Great, mostly because of his building projects. But I will tell you that he was morally corrupt. There is no doubt when you look at his life, even how he ordered the killing of his wife and the killing of his sons to try to protect his throne. He was an ungodly ruler. Nobody in history really doubts that. Certainly we see his cruelty and his evil displayed as he issues this massacre of children in Bethlehem. Unfortunately, there are too many unrighteous kings. But what I see in Scripture is that you and I have a king who is not only the one that has the rightful claim to the throne, but he is also the one who is the righteous individual who sits upon the throne. He is the righteous one. So many rulers and so many leaders who attempt to show their authority, to demonstrate their power, and yet too many of them demonstrate unrighteousness. Hey, even the best of rulers, even the best of rulers fall short of the glory of God. David, remember David, a man after God's own heart, a wonderful king, a person who pins all these different psalms of worship, a guy who is attuned, it seems, to God's spirit, and yet he will fall short of the glory of God. Solomon, Solomon that will lead the people of Israel to the greatest heights they had ever seen, the largest territory, the most wealth and treasure. Solomon will fall short of the glory because I want you to hear today that every earthly ruler will fall short of the glory of God. That is the reason we need a righteous king. We need one that is contrasted to Herod the Great. We need one that we can count on. That one, yes, is Jesus. In Micah chapter 5, 
where it had foretold Bethlehem being the place where the king would be born, the one that would be the ruler in Israel. It said there in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, it says, And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. He would shepherd his people. He would stand in, in the very person of the divine. He is the one that would lead righteously. You and I have a righteous king, one who is superior to David, one who is superior to Solomon, one who is superior to every ruler that will call himself such here on this earth. Jesus was the rightful king. He was the righteous king. And I want you to hear this as we wrap up our time together this morning. Jesus is the right king. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, what's your background. Jesus is the right one for you, and he is the right one for me. So, so they come. The Magi, they, they hear from Herod where they are supposed to go. Uh, Herod, of course, deceives them or tries to, attempts to. God always is over even the evil one's deceptions. So he protects them. But they go and they come and they find Jesus. And they are so excited. They are exceedingly happy. Isn't it awesome just to be exceedingly joyful and happy sometimes? You and I, during this time of year, we have so much to be exceedingly joyful for. Because the king has come. What's the song, the carol? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The, the king has come. No doubt in our minds, we know that the king has come. And here they gather around. Think, think of this. The, the, the pagan astrologers from Persia or Babylonia, somewhere in that area, they come and they recognize that this is the king. This is, this is the Jewish king. They are on the outside, or at least they were, looking in. Matthew is written to predominantly Jewish readers. And yet, I think he uses these magi, these Gentile magi, to remind even the Jewish readers that Jesus is the king of Israel, but he's not just the king for an ethnic group. He is the king for all nations. He's the right king. He's not just defined by geographical boundaries. He is the king who should be recognized all over this globe. Because as Psalm 22 tells us, he rules over the nations. He is the right king. He's the right king for the Magi. He's the right king for us. Hey, I probably should have done this in the beginning, but you know I like to do things a little bit out of order. The very idea of a king having a kingdom is the idea that somebody has the authority, the, the rule over others. For you and I, it is hard maybe 
to try to imagine a kingdom with a king. Why? Because we've been blessed to live in a democracy where we don't quite understand the idea of monarchy, or at least we haven't understood it practically in our lives. We're able to participate in our government. We're able to voice our concerns. We have freedom of speech and other things. It's a little different in a kingdom. It's a little different when you have a king. Now, I'm not saying a tyrant because Jesus is not a tyrant. There are too many of those that we see across this globe. I've already mentioned that he is the righteous one. He's not the unrighteous that we see often. But in a kingdom, there's a king. And the king speaks. And guess what? The servants listen. And what do the servants do? They do what the king says. Jesus is the king. In truth, we who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, who have recognized that, we are truly his kingdom. So in other words, when Jesus issues forth a command or he speaks to us, it carries authority. And you and I are to respond in obedience. Can't we put this up to a vote? The decision has already been made. The king has the authority to make the decree, the law, the command. He does not need our vote. Well, don't you think... It He is the king. We are subjects of the kingdom. You can trust him because he is the righteous one that I said. So everything that he does or everything that he commands will be for his glory and will be for us and our best benefit. You can count on him because he's the righteous one. But I've seen leaders, yeah, 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 but I'm talking to you about a leader that's not like any other. He calls forth our obedience. Jim Dennison, some years ago, asked a question that I would ask you as we prepare to close. As I was listening to Dennison speak, Dennison looked at us and he said, Is Jesus truly your king? Or is he simply your hobby? There is a difference. I struggle with that question. And I have continued to struggle with it. Now, I know that I've recognized him. I know that I have mentally and I believe spiritually assented to his kingship in my life. But I know that every day he calls me to continue to surrender. And I'm afraid that sometimes, sometimes, even those of us who are in the church, we have just made Jesus our hobby. It's just something else we do. It's just another service we come to. It's just another moment that we have. It's, it's just something we enjoy because, hey, we can enjoy hobbies. And we forget that he is the king. 
Jesus is not to be just a hobby for us. Jesus is to be recognized as our king. And this Christmas season, I pray that you would recognize him as the rightful, the righteous, as the very right king that he is. Because when it is all said and done, when it is all said and done, this whole earth will recognize that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Herod has passed into the dust. Other monarchs who thought they were rulers, they have passed off this scene. But our king, our Jesus, Yes, he was born. Yes, he lived. And yes, he died. But he rose again. And he lives today. Because he is the king. May we recognize him during this Christmas season. And may we surrender to him with everything that we have. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for these moments together. Thank you for the challenge that you've given us from your word. And God, I pray today for each and every person here. No matter what age, no matter whether they attend here every week or they're just visiting with us. Lord, no matter where their background is found, I pray that you would remind us in this place that you are the king. Yes, you came incarnate in flesh you came as a babe you humbled yourself yes you did but you came as the rightful righteous and right king for us God may we submit our personal lives to you may we submit our families to you may we submit our neighborhoods and communities May the nations themselves honor you for who you are. May we just simply join with those Magi even now in adoring you and worshiping you. Help us through this moment of commitment to respond as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen.